Father in heaven, Lord, thank you once again for this opportunity to come study your word. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to see a new picture of Jesus Christ here, especially in this third angel's message. Father, help us to understand this message because it's so relevant to our time. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We're looking at the third angel's message. And of course, once again, we're seeing time framing and how the third angel's message is to follow after the first and second. The third angel's message is to follow the first and second. Now, here's some observations that I have of the third angel's message. Firstly, this message has the greatest amount of information that is given. This message has the greatest amount of information given. Secondly, it is a climactic point of the three angels' messages. Climactic point. Thirdly, it is a warning message and is the most stern and fearful warning given in the whole Bible from God. And you're going to see clearly why when we get to this, okay? But this is one of the most fearful warning messages that you're going to come across when studying about the warnings, at least, that are given in the Bible. So, third angel's message is a very strong message. And certainly, no less loving. Because you see, friends, sometimes when we study messages like this, we think that God is an unloving God. We think that He's an unjust God because He gives such a strong language message. But friends, if your father was to walk out and you knew that when he walked out the door that he'd be run over by a truck, what would you do? You'd warn him. And he's like, ah, what'd you do then? You know what I'd do? I'd tie him up. If he got free, you know what I'd do? I'd break his legs. It's better his legs are broken than he get run over by a truck, right? And that's exactly what's going on here. It's a warning message, but not any less loving. Now let's look at this. Verse 9 of Revelation 14. The third angel's message. Revelation chapter 14 and verse 9, the Bible says, And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his image, and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, what do we see here? A third angel following. See consecutiveness again. The message continues on from the previous one, and they all go together. So the third angel followed. It's the same connected message following after what? Babylon is fallen, is fallen. They're all going together. And it says that if any man, what? Worship the beast and his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand. So ultimately, really what we're seeing here is a central issue coming out. And that is worship the beast or first angel's message, worship the creator. So this message here, three angels' messages are to tell us, worship the Creator, but if you don't and you worship the beast, this is what's going to happen. So friends, we should worship the Creator. You see that? G- Jesus has already given us, God has given us the consequences of what is going to happen when we worship the beast. And it would be stupid of us to read the warning and say, hey, I don't want to be receiving the wrath of God. We better worship the Creator. And the third angel's message is put in here to 
warn us of that. Now, what are we dealing here with? Let's go over to Revelation chapter 13 and verse 8. About worshipping this beast. Let's look at Revelation 13 verse 8. The Bible says, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the earth. So if you worship the beast, ultimately, what can you conclude? Your name is not written in the book of life. Now, let's jump over to Revelation 17 and verse 8. With the same train of thought in mind, let's read Revelation 17 and verse 8. The Bible says, The beast that thou sawest was, and is not, and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they behold the beast that was and is not and yet is. So if your name is not written in the book of life, your name is not written in where? The book of life. You're going to wonder after the beast. You're going to worship the beast at the end of time. So friends, worshiping the beast is a salvational issue. And of course, we see the word wonder in Revelation 13.3 when it says, when his deadly wound is healed, and what does a deadly wound signify again? Reunification of church and state. So when that deadly wound is healed and your name is not found written in the book of life, then you're going to wander after that beast. So friends, when the Sunday law is instituted, Sunday law, not just Sunday worship, that exists today, but when the Sunday law is instituted and you are not ready, your name is not going to be in the book of life. That's it. So when's the best time to be ready? Now. Don't delay that, friends. Don't. But here we see that there is a form of spiritual playing a part in the last days. How do we know? Because we look at Matthew 24 and verse 24. Let's go there. Matthew 24 and verse 24. We see spiritualism taking a great role in the end time events. Matthew 24 and verse 24, the Bible says, For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders. And insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. They're going to show what? Great signs and great wonders. And exactly what we see in Revelation 13. Fire coming down from heaven, deceiving those that dwell on the earth. And what is this? Spiritualism. Because it comes from the false Christ and a false prophet. Spiritualism. Now it says that if, he, if any man, back in Revelation 14, if it, says that, it says that if any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, really, by receiving the mark in the forehead or in your hand, it means that you're worship, worshiping the image, right? So if you have the mark in your forehead or if you have the mark in your hand, we conclude that you're worshiping the image. And if you're worshiping the image we can conclude that you're worshipping the beast. And hence, as a result, your name is not written in the book of life. So receiving the mark in your forehead or in your hand is salvational issue. And so who is this beast? Papacy. 
But really, underlying it, it is who? Satan. Synagogue of Satan. Satan worship. <clears throat> so, really, all these things are connected, and that's why it had to be mentioned here. This warning, it had to encapsulate every entity. It's like, friends, don't be deceived. If you're worshipping the image, you're really going to receive the mark of the beast. If you have receiving the mark of the beast, your name's going to be not going to be in the book of life. So really, A equals B equals C, A equals C. They're all related, connected to each other. Okay? Now let's move on. Verse 10. What's going to happen? If we worship the beast, his image, or receive the mark in his forehead or in the hand, it says in verse 10, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Now, that is not a fearful picture. I don't know what is, friends. But we see here that the same shall what? Drink of the wine of the wrath of God. Now, here's a question. It's opposite to the second angel's message, which we see that the drinking of the wine of the wrath of her, Babylon's, fornication. Now, what do you prefer? Do you prefer to receive the wrath of Babylon or the wrath of God? Who wants to receive the wrath of God? That means, who wants to receive the wrath of Babylon? And the rest don't care. <laughs> You're either going to receive one or the other at the end of the day. And three angels' messages has pointed it out clearly. It's like this. Friends, worship the Creator by fearing Him, keeping His commandments, giving glory to Him, and keeping the Sabbath. Because why? We're in the hour of judgment. But what else? You know why? Why should you worship the Creator? Because Babylon is going to be fallen at the end of time. And she's going to fall, but at the same time, she's going to bring her wrath upon the people. But that's okay. Because if you resist the mark of the beast, if you resist the wrath of her fornication, you're not going to receive my wrath. You see that? So it's, it's kind of like painting us a whole picture about what's going to happen at the end of the day. And God has been explicit here. He says that he's, we're going to receive the wrath of God if we worship the image. Now, who is going to drink of the wine of God? Or who drank of the wine of God in the Bible? Do you know? Do you know anybody who drank of the wrath or the wine of God in the Bible? He's the most famous character out there. Jesus Christ. Jesus was the one that drank of the wine of God. Desire of Ages, page 686. Now write this reference down. Desire of Ages, page 686. It says this. As a man, speaking of Jesus, he must suffer the consequences of man's sin. As man, he must endure the wrath of God against transgression. Now see, friends, by reading this quote, it gives us a clearer picture of Jesus Christ. Why is man going to receive the wrath of God at the end of the day? Because they still have sin in them. It's not God hates them. He's not saying, I want to destroy you, you, 
you, I hate you. Not like that. But if we do not want to give our sins up to Jesus Christ, who bore the wrath of God already on our behalf because we were sinners, then we're going to receive it ourselves personally. But Jesus, when he was on the cross, but really it was describing the Gethsemane experience, that at that time when he drank from that wine cup of the wrath of God, he was drinking the sins of the world and he was drinking the punishment that was to come upon him, eternal separation from God. Jesus received that. He did. But if we don't want his atonement on our, his, our behalf, then we're going to have the wrath of God ourselves in the end of time. And what is the wrath of God? The seven last plagues. But let's go over to Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9. Help us understand more about this wrath of God. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9. Watch this. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. Jesus has already tasted death for all of us. And I'm not talking about the mortal death that all of us face. I'm talking about eternal death, the second death which only sinners must experience. We don't need to experience that, but Jesus Christ did. He tasted death for every one of us. Now let's jump over to Galatians chapter 3. Help us understand more about the great love of God and the great love of Jesus Christ for us. <clears throat> Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13. The Bible says, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Jesus Christ was cursed for our sake. He tasted of the wrath of God. He was cursed by God because we transgressed the law. So we receive the wrath of God at the end of the day. That means we have rejected Jesus Christ and the gospel. And to a great degree, we've rejected the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so we're seeing the picture of the gospel come back in here again. And now we're understanding why Revelation chapter 12, verses 10 through 12, are the central verses of Revelation. Because it says, now is come salvation, pointing us all the way back to the cross. Now is Satan cast down. And so really, that cross that Jesus bore for us is a great deal more important than we perceive it to be. The cross that gave us salvation through Jesus Christ. And by rejecting the gospel, we've rejected the everlasting gospel, which is the three angels' message found in Revelation. Now, in verse 10, it says that the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. You see, friends, God's indignation has never been poured out without mixture. 
If we read the, all the Old Testament accounts of all the dealings of God with his people, of all the times where people have rejected Jesus Christ, and as a result, naturally that follows is judgment, is wrath. It has never been poured out without mixture. So you try to think of all of the dealings, of all the disasters, of everything that's happened in the past, even recently. God's mercy has always been mixed in with it. It has always been diluted with mercy. But at the end of time, when God's wrath is poured out, it's not going to be mixed with mercy anymore. Not at all. And to a great degree, even when it comes to Michael standing up in Daniel 12, one, there shall be a time of trouble such as never was, it could also be pointing to the time when the plagues are poured out. Not persecution just upon us, but how God is going to vindicate us by putting His wrath back on those that persecute Him. Calling me to Lamentations chapter 3. Lamentations chapter 3. We turn to this book quite a few times in a course of a study of Revelation so far. But in Revelation, uh, Lamentations chapter 3, <clears throat> verses 22 to 23, <clears throat> pardon me, Lamentations chapter 3, starting in verse 22, the Bible says here, It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because His compassions fail not. <clears throat> Verse 23, they are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. <clears throat> God's, God's judgments have always been poured out with mercy, with compassion. But when His wrath is poured out in the future, it's not going to be mingled with mercy or compassion anymore. And this is exactly what it's talking about. And on that, it continues on in Revelation 14 and verse 10, that he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. <clears throat> now, what sto story in the Bible talks about God sending fire and brimstone? Do you know? Sodom and Gomorrah, that's exactly it. Sodom and Gomorrah talks about that time when God was pouring out fire and brimstone. Let's go to Luke 17, 29. Luke chapter 17, verse 29. And friends, it would do us well to understand more under, closely about the story of Sodom and Gomorrah and why it fell and why God destroyed it. But in Luke 17, verse 29, let's go there. The Bible says... Luke 17, 29. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed with fire and brimstone. And so, friends, I want to encourage you to go back and study this story about how Abraham was there pleading for Sodom and Gomorrah not to be destroyed. And how the circumstances surrounding it, the reason why God destroyed it. Go back and look at all this. It's very important to understand these stories. If Jesus Christ mentioned it, it's important. And we need to go back and study this. Okay? 
That's homework for you to do. But let's continue on Revelation 14. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 14, verse 11. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night, who worship the beast and his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Once again, reiterating, what's the central issue behind this? Whosoever worship the beast and his image and receiveth the mark and his name. Central issue being worship. But we see here smoke. And smoke is a result of something being burnt up. But it says that smoke ascendeth up forever and ever. And so from this picture, a lot of people say, see, God is going to kill and torment people, the sinners with fire forever and ever. Why? Because their smoke is going up forever and ever and ever. Now, contextually, yes, it may seem that way, but friends, we need to study also line upon line, text upon text, here a little, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. Help us to understand really what is this forever talking about. Now, what story was related to fire and brimstone again? Sodom and Gomorrah, okay? Now, really what we're seeing is that the result of this is that their, their destruction is everlasting. Let's go to Jude. Jude chapter 1 and verse 7. Let's go there. Talking about Sodom and Gomorrah. Jude chapter 1 and verse 7. The Bible says, even as Sodom and Gomorrah and cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of what? Eternal fire. Seems like that fire is burning forever, isn't it? Same concept is given. Eternal fire. But jump with me over with me to Second Peter. And what else do we know about Sodom and Gomorrah? Second Peter chapter 2 and verse 6. <clears throat> Second Peter chapter 2 and verse 6, the Bible says here, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into what? Ashes. Condemn them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that after should live ungodly. So really was the reason why God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah? Because they were ungodly. And what is the reason why Babylon is going to fall at the end of time and God is going to also send fire and brimstone upon the sinners? Because they're ungodly. But it said here that Sodom and Gomorrah was turned into ashes. Now when do you get ashes? After everything's burnt up. That's when we get ashes. While it's burning, it's red. It's called an ember, correct? So that's not an ash yet. An ash happens after something is burnt up. So therefore, Sodom and Gomorrah, number one, eternal fire, is not referring to fire that's burning eternally. But its consequences are eternal. So when we understand that point behind it, we are able to interpret the fire, I mean the smoke ascending forever and ever more clearly. It's not that God is going to torment people forever, but the effects of their burning is going to be an everlasting one. In terms of that, they will not come back again. Not burning forever, but its consequences are eternal. <clears throat> but it says here, back in Revelation 14, that they have no rest day nor night. 
Now, it's because what? They refused the Sabbath message. Sabbath simply means rest. So when they rejected the rest of God, then they say, okay, God is saying, if you do not want my rest, then you're not going to have rest forever. Because they rejected the Sabbath message. By what? Partaking of the fornication of Babylon. Sunday sacredness. So they refuse eternal rest, so they receive the effects of everlasting punishment. Totally opposite to that. Now let's move on. Verse 12. This is where we're going to be studying, spending the most of our time. Here the Bible says in Revelation 14, 12, and you know, many people detach this verse from the third angel's message. But actually, the third angel's message contains verse 12. After it says, don't worship the beast in his image, and if you do, you're going to receive everlasting punishment from God. You're going to be tormented with fire and brimstone. And then it says here, here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. In contrast to those that worship the image and the beast, here is the patience of the saints. Now, if we go to Revelation chapter 13, verse 10, similar picture is given. Revelation 13, verse 10, the Bible says, He that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. He that killeth with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. So when it talks about these patience of the saints here, it's talking about what? Persecution, trials that are going to come. He that be led into captivity, don't worry. Here is the patience of the saints. They've learned to endure captivity and the sword from the beast. But we're looking at Revelation 13, 7. We go back a few verses before. Why? It says, And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And friends, if we don't need patience in that time, I don't know what we need. But patience is one of the most important character traits that we need to learn today. Because we cannot learn patience today in times of peace and prosperity. And we just have a few people here and there persecuting us with a few words. And we cannot endure that. We are never going to endure the time of trouble that's going to come in the future. So friends, we all need to learn to become thick-skinned. Let people talk about us. Let them speak mean and evil things about us. Let them gossip about us. Let them persecute us. It's okay. This is a time of peace. It's nothing. You haven't seen anything yet. The time that's coming in the future is going to be a lot worse. A lot worse. <clears throat> but what's another word for patience? Do you know? Long-suffering, yes. Anything else? What's another word that you can attach to patience? Endurance. That's a word that is... Long-suffering is definitely... The exact one, but here another one is given, endurance. Another word for patience is endurance. Now let's turn to Matthew 24. What do we need endurance for? <clears throat> Matthew 24. Verses 13 to 14. What do we need endurance for? Verse 13 of Matthew 24, the Bible says, But he that shall endure unto the end, 
the same shall be saved. So if we endure or if we have patience until the end, we will be saved. We will be found written in what book? Book of life. Verse 14, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. So what do we need endurance for? To preach the gospel to the whole world. We need that endurance. And these saints are the ones that will give the message of the everlasting gospel to the whole world, being what? The three angels and messages. We need patience to preach this message, friends. Why? Because there will be people that will persecute us for this message alone. And friends, it happens in the churches today as well. You definitely need patience to preach this message. If you're telling people to have victory over sin, and they have this cherished sin or idol in their life, they're going to hate you. You need patience. So, friends, develop patience if you don't have that. And I certainly am no one to speak about patience. I am still developing that too. I have very little patience. More patience for some things, but little patience for things that I see, I think are unjust. And you know what? We're going to be unjustly treated at the end of the day. We're going to need patience for that one. But why do we need patience to endure? Why? Let's look at a few texts, shall we? Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Speaking of patience and endurance. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, the Bible says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with what? Patience, the race that is set before us. And then verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. You know, friends, if we are also run this race with patience, we ought to run it by looking to Jesus, who also did the same thing. He endured the cross. Friends, there's a cross for us to bear at the end of time. We have to learn with patience and endurance to bear this cross as well. Not the same cross that Jesus Christ bore, but a cross that He's asked us to carry. But jump over to 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4, connecting this with faith. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4, the Bible says here, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. So how can we be victorious in patience? We need to look to Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. We need to learn to look to Jesus, friends. And how do we see him? In the Bible, in the book of Revelation. So, friends, the promise of Laodicea in church is to him that overcometh. And what's going to happen? What's going to happen? They're going to be sitting down with Jesus Christ in his throne. If they overcome. But what do we need to overcome? Our lukewarmness. Our sin. Laying aside, as Hebrews 12 says, laying aside every weight of sin 
that doth so easily beset us and run with patience this race. But why is the Laodicean church counseled to buy gold tried in the fire? Do you remember the characteristics of gold tried in the fire? What did this represent? James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. First, the trying of gold. What was it? James chapter 1, verses 2 to 3, the Bible says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. So, we see that the trying of our faith is that trying of the gold. The buying of the gold that is tried in the fire. Trying. What are those trials? Temptations. And it worketh what? Patience. But then in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 7. Let's go there. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 7. The Bible says that the trial of your faith be much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and the glory and the appearing of Jesus Christ. So what are we seeing here? Gold is what? Faith. Fire? Trials. So somehow the Laodicean church has to have what? Gold tried in the fire. They need to have faith that is tried. Because if they don't have faith that is tried, they don't have what? Patience. So they don't have patience. They are not qualified to be part of the 144,000. Because Revelation chapter 14, verse 12, to a large degree, is talking about the 144,000. Those that do not receive the mark of the beast and are faithful to God all the way. They've gone through great trials, the time of trouble, and they have victory. Faith that overcomes the world. So when our faith is tried... It worketh patience. But jump over with me to Second Peter, chapter 1, and verses 5 and 6. What else is connected with patience? Second Peter, chapter 1, and verses 5 and 6. Pay attention. I'm going to ask you the question. What is connected or comes before patience? Verses 5 and 6, First Peter reads, And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience, godliness. In order for us to attain godliness, we must have patience. But in order for us to have patience, what do we have to have? Temperance. You cannot develop patience without temperance. What is temperance? Self-control. And when it comes to temperance of diet... It's even eating in moderation those things that are also good. Not overeating, being a gluttony. And you know, Daniel chapter 1 talks about the temperance message. It's very interesting. The, all the prophetic books that we study between Daniel and Revelation, if we study Daniel first, we must first come across temperance. Because friends, if we do not understand the message of temperance, it is impossible for us to be patient. To a great degree, what we eat is going to affect whether we are patient or not. And one of those things that affects our patience is spicy food. Do you hear me? 
You eat spicy food, you have a spicy personality and spicy character. Pepper, curries, spices. Temperance. Think about this. So now, studying the book of Revelation must cause us to go back and read councils on food and diets, ministry of healing. We need to understand these things for our salvation's sake. Diet plays a very important part in how we're going to survive at the end of time and whether you're going to be part of the 144,000. First angel's message also contains the health message too. Fear God and what? Give glory to Him. And we read it also. Whatsoever you eat, whatsoever you drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Friends, health message is also in the first angel's message. So, friends, we need to keep that in mind when it comes to patience. Here is the patience of the saints. But then it says, here are they that what? Keep the commandments of God. And friends, if you're keeping the commandments of God, that means you're not what? Breaking the commandments of God. You're not transgressing. That means you're doing what? You're having victory over sin. So, friends, if you have the patience of the saints, it's going to help you by a large degree, I believe, through your diet, is going to help you to keep the Ten Commandments of God. It's going to have you, help you have victory over sin. So maybe if you're struggling over sin at this point in time, why don't you try changing your diet? That might help a lot. But how did they develop patience? They kept the commandments of God. And if we read it in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 17, <clears throat> that the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed which keep the commandments of God. So friends, if you're keeping the commandments of God at the end of time, you're going to receive the wrath of the dragon. It takes patience to keep the commandments of God when the whole world is persecuting you because of doing such a thing. At the end of the day, if you're keeping the Sabbath commandments, People are going to persecute you. They're going to kill you. Why? Because there's going to be a Sunday law. And you're going to need patience at that time to keep the commandments of God. Why? Because people are going to be falsely accusing you for breaking the Ten Commandments. But in actual fact, you are the one that is actually keeping it. You see that? Very closely connected. But here is what I want to look at. The faith of Jesus. We've got to ask ourselves a few questions here when it comes to studying the faith of Jesus. First, what is the faith of Jesus? And secondly, how can we have the faith of Jesus? Because the 144,000, the saints at the last days, will have the faith of Jesus. So first, what is the faith of Jesus? Let's go to Habakkuk, Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 4. Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 4. What is the faith of Jesus? Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 4, the Bible says, Behold his soul, which is lifted up, is not upright in him. But the just shall live by his faith. So what is the faith of Jesus here? The just shall live by his faith. We've got to live by faith. But let's look at Romans chapter 1 and verse 17. What is the faith of Jesus? Romans chapter 1 and verse 17, the Bible says, 
For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. So Paul reiterates the same thing in the book of Romans. He's simply quoting from Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 4. The just shall live by his faith. The just shall live by faith. But if we jump over to Hebrews chapter 10, Paul also being the author of this book, certainly understanding the issue of faith, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 38, he writes here, Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, the soul shall have no pleasure in him. And in the next chapter over, Hebrews 11, he describes all those men that learned how to live by the faith of Jesus Christ. So if we want to learn how to live by faith through examples of other men, go back and study those men that have been mentioned in Hebrews 11. Abel, Noah, Moses, Abraham, Isaac, all these people, and also the people that existed during the Dark Ages. The person that brought out the understanding of righteousness by faith, you know who it was? He was climbing the steps to the cathedral while kissing it. You know, that's what they did, right? The monks. Martin Luther, while he was kneeling there, on the steps, the text came to his mind, the just shall live by faith. Halfway up those steps, he got up and he walked out. And he wrote his 95 thesis. So to a great degree, men of the Dark Ages also lived by faith as well. But how do you know if you have faith or not? If the just shall live by his faith, how do you know you have faith or not? Let's go to Proverbs chapter 4. Litmus test. For how we know whether we have faith or not. He, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 18. It says, what sort of people shall live by faith? The just. Now let's look at Proverbs chapter 4, verse 18. But the path of the just is as the shining light that shineth more and more unto the perfect day. So the path of the light is like a shining light. The path of the just, I mean is like a shining light. And, you know, friends, to a great degree, you're going to know what sort of life you're living and whether it be of faith, if people, what sort of people are following you. Friends, if you attract all the wicked people that are out there and they're following you everywhere you go, you're not, it's pretty clear to say that from your fruits, you're going to see that you're not living a life or faith of Jesus Christ. Do you see that? The path of the just is like the shining light. And if you're not leading others to the great light, the son of righteousness with the Jesus Christ, it's pretty clear maybe that your life is not living up to the standard of those that are living by faith in Jesus Christ. So your fruits, by your fruits you shall know. By your fruits you shall know. Now, how did Jesus live? If we want to have the faith of Jesus, how did Jesus live? Let's look at a few things, okay? Found in John. All these texts that we're looking at will be found in John. John chapter 5. Firstly, found in John chapter 5 and verse 19. John chapter 5 and verse 19. The Bible says, Then answered Jesus and said unto him, them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, The Son can do nothing of himself, 
But what he seeth the Father do, for what the things soever he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. So first, how did Jesus live? Whatsoever he what? Saw the Father do, that he did. Secondly, John chapter 5 and verse 30. I can do nothing of mine own self. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of the Father which hath sent me. So how did he live here? Whatsoever he heard from God. As I hear, I judge. So whatever he heard. And thirdly, John chapter 12 and verse 49 to 50. John 12, 49 to 50. What is this talking about? John chapter 12, verses 49 to 50. How did Jesus live? For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me. He gave me a commandment, what I should say, and what should I speak. And I know that his commandment is life everlasting. Whatsoever I speak, therefore, even as the Father said unto me, so I speak. So he speaks according to God's commandments. Whatsoever God commanded him to do, he spoke. So friends, this is how we ought to live as well. Whatsoever we see, whatsoever we hear, and whatsoever God speaks to us. Now let's look at John 15 as well. And verse 5. How can we live like Jesus? This is important because if we want to be like Him, we need to live like Him. John 15 and verse 5, the Bible says, Jesus is speaking of Himself here. He says, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. So in context, when he says, without me, ye can do nothing, what is this referring to? You're not able to speak, hear, and talk, and act like Jesus Christ if we are not what? Abiding in him. So what do we need to do? Abide in Jesus. But in Matthew one twenty three, how can we abide in Jesus? Very interesting. Matthew one twenty three, the Bible says, Behold, a virgin shall with child, shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. So really, in order for us to abide with Jesus, God needs to also abide with us. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He abode with us. But in Exodus 25 verse 8, we're seeing here a clearer picture of what we have to understand about God abiding with us. Here Jesus, God has spoken to Moses and he commands him, let them make me a sanctuary that I may what? Dwell with them. Friends, how can we dwell with Jesus, abide with him, abide in him? We need to understand the sanctuary message. We need to understand the sanctuary message. God with us. We must experience it. Not just understand it, but take it a step further to experience the sanctuary message. Do you understand the sanctuary message? 
If you do, go teach it. That is a responsibility of every believing Seventh-day Adventist. You have not fulfilled your commission by sitting here listening to the Revelation Seminar. I'm telling you that right now. I have, but you haven't. You have to teach all nations. Correct? Matthew 28. Teaching all nations, teaching them to of what? Observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. So friends, the responsibility of every believing Christian out there is to teach all nations. And I'm not telling you to teach Max Lucado, purpose-driven life, Rick Warren. Don't teach that. That's foolishness. And yes, I'm going out on a limb by saying this. Teach Jesus Christ. Teach the Bible. Not man's opinions. How can we have the faith of Jesus? So we know what the faith of Jesus is. Whatsoever Jesus heard, whatsoever Jesus saw, whatsoever God commanded, that he did. But how can we have the faith of Jesus? Let's go to Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. You know, I realize that this is being recorded. To a great degree, I may be shooting myself in the foot. But it's okay. If it's for righteousness sake, it's okay. Amen? But Galatians 2.20, let's look at this. The Bible says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So how do we have the faith of Jesus Christ? Hmm? Live in Christ, but how do we have that experience? We need to be crucified. You need to be crucified with Jesus Christ. Now in Galatians 2.16, it tells us this, knowing that a man is not justified by works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ. And not by the works of the law, but by the works of the law shall no, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. So we need to have faith in him first. And you remember the experience of Abraham. Romans, go back and read the book of Romans, friends. I've talked about this already. But it said that when Abraham believed in God, it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now, we are justified by faith. Not by works alone. You can't work uh, this one out. But Romans 5.1 tells us how we can also further have this experience. Talking about crucifying ourselves. <clears throat> oh, pardon me. We'll get that into that in a moment. Romans 6 actually talks about that. But Romans 5.1, it says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So in order to have us to have peace with God, for him to not take out his wrath upon us, we need to be justified by faith, correct? And for those that receive the wrath of God, they, to a great degree, what? They have sin in them still. So really, what we're crucifying at the end of the day is that old man of sin. And Romans chapter 6, verses 3 to 7, talk about that. How we need to kill that old man of sin. For it says in verse 7, for he that is dead is free from sin. So we have to die how often? Daily. Crucifying ourselves, friends. 
So when it comes to Revelation 14 and verse 12, it says, Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Really, you could say that here are they that keep the commandments of God and have crucified themselves on a daily basis. How do you kill yourselves? We've gone through this before with the Word of God. Ephesians 6, 17. Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So friends, do you understand that this is the exact experience that the Laodiceans have to go through? They're coming to church. They're coming to Revelation seminars, evangelistic series, Daniel seminars, whatever seminars are out there on the Bible. They go. They love it. They hear it but they still don't have victory over sin. Is there a Laodicean in our midst this morning, this afternoon? Have you learned to crucify your flesh? Did you crucify it this morning? Did you study your Bible this morning? If not, according to the Bible, I can well truly say that your old man, man is alive. He comes back to life when you wake up, when you open your eyes. You can only kill him with the Bible and by prayer with the Holy Spirit. But friends, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ was the greatest demonstration of faith that have ever happened on this earth. <clears throat> Do you know why? Because from eternity past, Jesus Christ and God the Father have never been separated. And Jesus Christ knew that God would raise him up again. But while he was in Gethsemane, drinking about the wrath of God, while that separation experience from, from the sinner and the Father was taking place, Jesus began to doubt a little. And he cried out in his humanity, Father, it would be possible, take this cup away from me because he could not see beyond the portals of the tomb. He couldn't understand to a certain degree how God the Father would resurrect him again. But still he cried out three times, God, if this be possible, take that cup away from me. I don't want to drink it. I've never been separated from you, God. But by faith he drank it. By faith he hung on the cross, not understanding whether or not he would ever be resurrected again, not understanding whether he would be reunited with his father again. But he drank it. He died on the cross for us. And God, Jesus has not asked us to bear that cross again, eternal separation from God again. But he's asked us to bear our own cross today. We have our own cross and own crucifying to do of our old man. And it needs to be done on a daily basis, friends. We need to crucify that old man of sin. And that is the faith of Jesus. But it takes patience, daily patience. So may God give us that experience today. As we've gone through now these three angels' messages, may he help us to go further than just understanding, but he'll give us a true experience in the Bible today. And may he reform our lives from the inside out. Friends, I guarantee you, he will change you. He's changed me, and if he can change me, he can change you. You don't know what I was in the past. You only see what I am now. But if God can change me, He can do it to you too. Let's bow. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. <clears throat> Father in heaven,
thank you for giving us this messages of the three angels. Thank you, Father, that you are showing us and you're warning us, Lord, about the future. Oh, Lord, help us all here to take heed of these messages. And most of all, help us to see the urgency of your coming. Lord, today, while it is yet day, help us to apply into our lives all these things that we're learning, that we can have a true experience of faith in Jesus Christ today. It's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.